This morning, our scripture is from Psalm 91, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and I will make the most high your dwelling place, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. I was thinking, uh, as you listen to his words of Psalm 91, there's a little bit of doubt that creeps in, doesn't it? Especially when you think about what happened last weekend. And our nation's been happening over and over again. A lot of people woke up again to mass shootings in our nation last week because two happened within 24 hours of each other. But what I learned after looking at that is that there actually have been almost 250 mass shootings in the United States since the beginning of 2019. So what I thought about it was, was I that we've, we're, so, we're kind of getting used to it, aren't we? It took two back-to-back -back shootings to get us to wake up again to what's going on, right? And so now, once again, we as a nation are praying for families, looking for ways to make changes in our world and trying to figure out ways, and Congress is debating gun laws again. But I, it struck me how we had become desensitized to it, you know? We just kind of, because it was happening so often, and then, but what it does, what is it doing inside of us? I, I, was, well, I was watching, you know, on social media and in the media how so often we just rush to try and fix it. We want, a, we want a solution. And people have different ideas of solutions. And, and a lot of them, I would say, have to do with our own fears, right? You know, I was walking down the street, uh, you know, so one solution, let me say, one solution that's being offered is let's arm our citizens. Like, that's one solution. Let's give everybody, uh, all the people, guns and things. And I'm not, this is not a sermon about the NRA or anything like that. Or politics, to be honest. 
It's really about how there's this fear in us that want, we want to protect ourselves, right? What did the psalm say? Who's our protector? Versus our own need to protect ourselves. I actually experienced this uh, a couple months ago. I was walking uh, to church one morning, and there was a, a going, I was going by a, an encamp, a homeless encampment, and there was a guy uh, screaming, yelling, and waving a knife around and at the imaginary figures, and I obviously recognized this was mental illness. And, uh, but he was pretty aggressive, and I was walking by, and I'd be, you know, what, what do you think, what feeling do you think I felt at that moment? Fear, right? I felt fear, and uh, I said, this guy, and then I started to kind of make this mental evaluation, and I started to say, okay, is this guy a danger to himself, danger to somebody else? So I assessed that, and I said, yes, this guy could possibly be a danger to himself, or he could possibly be a danger to someone else. So I called the police, and I reported it, and then I didn't stick around to see what happened, and I kept going. But you know, you know what the next thought I had was? I'm going to be, you know, just share, I'm just sharing you with Matt's inner thought, thought world. I need to carry a gun. That was my next thought. Like, may, I need to go buy a handgun and carry it and get a conceal and carry permit. Now, why am I thinking that? Because I'm afraid. Fear. Fear is making me figure out ways to protect myself, right? That's where I'm going. Now, I, I quickly went on and said, well, that wouldn't have worked in this situation anyway. There's this 30-foot rule. You know about the 30-foot rule? 30-foot rule is this. That, and this is what they teach you in uh, in uh, police training, if you remember my brother's police officer, but there's a 30-foot rule that if there's a person with a knife within 30 feet of you, you do not have enough time to actually reach, grab your gun, pull it out, and shoot the person before they they hurt you. So so there's a 30-foot rule, right? And so 30-foot rule says, so that wouldn't have worked in me. So there's that fear to want to carry a gun, but even though that gun wouldn't have helped me in that situation, I was within 20 feet of this person. But police came, took care of the situation, and I'm sure uh, did what they do. But notice that that's one solution we're struggling with. Notice what's the other solution that the population is struggling with? What's the other thing we're, we're trying to do? So that's one side of the solution. The other side of the solution is what? Take guns away, right? So there's one solution is give guns to people. The other side of the solution is take guns away. If, the, if people didn't have access to guns, then we wouldn't have this problem. And we need, especially around assault rifles and things like that. And so there's this other solution going around. What is that based in? What, what's really driving that as well? Fear. Still the same fear. So what we're debating in society is really rooted in our fears, And will we be safe? Will we be protected? And here we come across Psalm 91. (laughs) And Psalm 91 says to us, trust God. Trust God. Be encouraged by God. Have a relationship with God and know that God is with you. And there's this this idea that really the psalmist is really trying to speak to us and say to us, be encouraged when you face fear, when you have fears, when you're afraid and wondering about what's going to happen to you, you have a God that does care for you 
in the midst of those troubles and adversities. So the question I want to raise with Psalm 91 today is that it is addressing this idea of our own fears and asking the question, who's going to protect us? So here's the question I think Psalm 91 raises for us. Do we want to live a life of fear or one of confidence as we face adversity? We're going to have adversity. How do we want to face the adversity and troubles in our life? Do we want to face it with fear or do we want to face it with confidence? And how does our relationship with God affect that fear or that confidence or that faith when we face adversity? So as we look at this psalm today, we're gonna, I'm going to pull a couple things out. But I want to give a few things that I don't think is going on here in the psalm just to let us know about a few things about poetry. First of all, it's poetry. What's poetry do? Poetry is created and written to express the depth of relationship. How many, how many uh, people have ever wrote, written a love poem? Come on. Come on. That's, ah, there's a lot of us, right? We've written a poem. What, what were we doing with that poem? What were we trying to do with that poem that we wrote to this other person, right? We were trying to express to them the depth of our love for them, our relationship with them, right? That's what the poem does. So keep in mind, when we're writing psalm, we're looking at the psalms, we're talking about poetry that is expressing the depth of relationship with God and worship of God. So in that sense, um, you, you, you need to keep it in that. So it's not to be taken like totally, you know, literal, right? It's poetic. The other thing I would say to you to keep in mind as we look at this psalm is that bad things do happen to God's people, God's people do suffer. Read the New Testament. It's all over the place. So it's not a, a guarantee of divine protection. This psalm isn't, well, hey, if you just, uh, you know, have this uh, relationship with God, this deep abiding relationship with God, you're guaranteed to be protected. That is not, I don't think, what the psalm is saying. And also, this is not a transactional. We don't, we don't have a transactional God or a transactional relationship with God. Uh, one of the things I think we, we fall into, and I was taught this growing up. My dad and I would work on cars together and we would fix cars and I would help him fix his cars and he would help me fix my cars as I got older. And you may have heard me share some about how I learned how to cuss fixing cars because my dad, you know, would get frustrated and then he would cuss and then I would, you know, that's how I learned that, right, as a kid. But there were times when things would go right when we were trying to fix the car. Like when we were fixing the car and the part would go in without any problems or the part would come out with any problems. And here's what my dad would say to me. Boy, you must be living right. Well, I said, Dad, what does that mean? He's like, well, you, if good things are happening, you know, because you're living good. You know, you're, you're, you're right living, right? And so I began to make this association as a young child that if I live right, good things will happen to me, right? We call that karma, right, today. We call that karma, right? I don't think that's what Psalm 91 is talking about. It's not a transaction with God, that if you do this for God, or you follow these rules for God, or if you live right, then God will protect you. Because we know lots of people who live right, and did right, and did good, and followed God, and were obedient to God, and did God's will, and had adversity, had problems, had troubles, had threats. Look at Jesus, the life of Jesus. Look at the life of Paul. Paul was beat up. Jesus was threatened, ultimately crucified. So what's going on? All right, Matt, thanks for just taking the whole psalm, all the hopefulness out of the psalm. I would tell you that it's still hopeful. There's something else going on here. 
And it's really in this key verse. I want you to, let's take a look at this key verse. The key verse is actually the first two verses this week. Let's take a look at those first two verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Are you saying that when you're afraid? When you have fear, when, when the, 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 you know, the, the threat comes to you, do you say, he is my refuge, <laughs> my fortress, my God? Or do you think about it buying a handgun? See how that works? What's our first response? How do we, what's our relational response to God? What is going on inside of us? Who are we trusting, right? That's the question. Notice that whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, literally the Hebrew says whoever dwells in the tent of the Most High. You got to remember this is nomadic culture. And so if you remember that they lived in tents. And so actually, if you look at the whole Psalm, it's actually reminding us of Middle Eastern hospitality, because when you entered into the tent of someone in the Middle East, in a nomadic culture, there were some things that they would do for you. The first thing, actually, when you were traveling, because you remember, there were no hotels, motels, B&Bs, Airbnb, none of that. There were no Ubers, Lyfts. And so when they would travel to a certain area, they would go into a certain area, and then they would wait by the roadside to be invited into somebody's house or tent, in this case. And they would wait to be invited and there would be actually be a discussion and they would talk to you and find out if it was okay to bring you into the tent. And then if they invited you into the tent, here's what would happen. You'd come into the tent, they would wash your feet. Wash your feet from the journey, the dirty road. And you would be an honored guest in that tent. You would be, you would be bestowed honor. And you see that in verse 15 later in the psalm that the, that the person there in the psalm is the honored guest of God that you and I are honored guests of our host, God, who is God, our refuge. Feet would be washed, they would be provided food, a meal, and then they would be provided rest in this place. You can hear that again, that's in verse one, we'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty, in the tent of the Almighty. We'll be given rest because we're in a safe place. But very, many of the verses here in the Psalm talk about one other thing that the host would do, and that is if you were in the tent of someone in the Middle East, they would protect you. That if threats came, if any wild animals came, if any other people came to get you, to attack you, that that host was going to stand up for you and protect you, may even put a guard, if there were serious threats, they would put a guard outside the tent that you were sleeping in, like angels, what it says in the psalm. So this idea is that when we're in God's tent, that God is going to look out for us. So there is this, this sense that God is going to be our host, that God will take care of us. But it's about abiding in the tent, right? It's about being in relationship with God. It's about being in not just, uh, not just physical presence, but being in this abiding relationship, which Jesus picks up on in the Gospels, right? He talks about abiding being with, staying with, staying in the tent of, not wandering off on our own, right? Outside the tent, outside of the shadow, outside of the, God's protection in, in other ways, right? So we know there is some general truth to that. 
So this relationship, though, this abiding relationship with God in Psalm 91 does bring about some things, some results, some outcomes, some things in our lives. And it's actually, if we look ahead in Psalm 91, we see one of those things in the next, and we'll jump to verse 5 to 6. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. You will not fear. Here, here we're back to fear again. And what the psalmist is saying is that if we're abiding with God, if we're in relationship with God, if we're in the tent of God, we're not going to have fear. You shall not fear. That when the terror of night comes, when the arrow flies, when the pestilence comes, when the plague, illness, threat, these are the things the psalmist mentioned. And so it's basically saying, what God, this relationship with God gives us is trust and confidence in God so that we're not afraid. So we don't give in to our fears because they can rule us so easily. Can, can I get a witness here this morning? An amen to the fact that our, we get ruled by our fears, right? That is so true of us. You know, I got turned on to Psalm 91 many years ago, meeting with a guy named Buck. Buck was a veteran in World War II. And in his, uh, he was, uh, I would go visit him when he was ill or sick or the pestilence had come or something was going on in his life. And he would, oh, I'd say, can I read scripture to you, Buck? Can, is there something, I, I'll pray for you. Any scripture I can read to you, you know what he'd always choose, right? Psalm 91. Say, read to me Psalm 91. And so he would also tell me stories about being a veteran and what happened during the war. And one of the things he related to me was this idea, was that when he was serving, I think he was in the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, he was, they were being shelled, you know, the they were, Germans were launching all these shells at them. And one of them, he and his sergeant were in a foxhole together. And he talked about how they were in the, they were there together. The shell came in, hit the foxhole. And he came to, he went unconscious, and he woke pretty much with just minor injuries, but his friend, his sergeant, was just gone. And he says, I wasn't a Christian up to that point. I wasn't a person of faith up to that point. But I began to ask that question, why am I still here? Why am I still alive? Which is a very natural question. And later he became a man of faith and a Christian, and he said, Psalm 91. Psalm 91 reminds me that I need not fear. That I don't need to be afraid of this disease I'm struggling with. That I don't need to be afraid of this adversity that I'm facing. That I don't need to be afraid that even, that God is still with me. That God is still by my side. That I'm still in relationship with God. And you know, uh, Buck passed away. He did succumb to illness. But he had this trust this fearlessness to him that he lived the rest of his life with later through life. And he always wanted to go to Psalm 91 because it reminded him to be fearless. It reminded him whenever he faced adversity, whenever he faced problems, that he could be fearless because God was with him. And that's the other thing the psalmist says. Did you see that too? See, when, when you're in this abiding relationship with God, God only not, not only gives you courage to face fear, but it says, the psalmist goes on in the last couple of verses, says, whenever you cry out to me, and 
I apologize, I'm switching versions, translations on you because I think this is a better translation of these verses. He says, whenever you cry out to me, I'll answer. I'll be with you in troubling times. I want you to notice it doesn't say you won't have troubling times. It says, I'll be with you in troubling times. I'll save you and glorify you. I'll fill you full with old age. I'll show you my salvation. That's good news. Because not only do we want to be able to face our fears, but we, isn't it easier to face fears when you know somebody's with you? And somebody, like, who's bigger than you? <laughs> like, if I had been in that situation, you know, walking down, the guy's waving a knife, what if I had had, uh, let's say, somebody with me who knew special martial arts, right? And was walking with me, I'd be like, I'm not worried, right? This, this person, her hands are lethal weapons, right? She could take this guy out, right? And I'd be confident, so I'm still waiting for my wife to take martial arts to protect me, so. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. So, so that's what's going on, right? To know that someone is with us who is stronger and mightier and bigger and bolder and can handle those things with us, it's a great thing. You know, one of the games we always play with ourselves is... Uh, What's the worst that could happen? Have you ever played that game, right? What's the worst that could happen, right? I love this t-shirt I came across uh, that has that game. Get outside, worst case scenario, a bear might eat you, right? So that's what we do. We play these games with ourselves. I actually have a, a bear story when I took my girls backpacking and uh, my daughter, I won't tell you the whole story because we'll be here all morning, but uh, my daughters, I decided to take them backpacking. My youngest daughter never been backpacking before. I said, we're going to go out. And uh, my daughter said to me at breakfast, we had this big, you know, go get a big breakfast before you hit the trail. So we're pancakes, eggs, the whole thing, right? And at breakfast, my daughter, Lauren, my younger daughter, she says, she's not here today to defend herself, so this is good. Um, she said, uh, Dad, are we going to see any bears? I said, we're probably not going to see a bear. I've been out in the woods so many times over decades, you know, and I'm just like explaining to her, like, I, I think I've only seen like one or two bear my whole camping career, backpacking camp, whatever. So we hit the trail. In the first mile of our trail, this big, dark, black, furry thing just takes off up the hill. We kind of spook it and it runs up the hill. And my, my daughter looks at me like, Dad, uh, was that a bear? I'm like, yeah, that was a bear. Yeah, that was. But look, this is what happens when you come across a black bear is that they run away, right? Isn't that cool, right? You know, doing the dad thing, right? And isn't that cool? You know, we're going our way and, you know, the, the bear runs away. The bear doesn't want to be around. So she's, you know, pretty cool, calm, collected. So we keep going. That afternoon, we actually, I had uh, rented a, ca a, a backcountry cabin for us to stay in because I thought, you know, Let's make it a little bit less tenty, you know. So, and uh, so we stay, we have this cabin. We're sitting out there in the cabin. It's late afternoon. And we keep hearing this sound off in the brush, like this really heavy sound. And I'm thinking deer, got to be a herd of deer, right? And so I go and uh, I tell the girls to wait there by the cabin. And I go down this trail and I'm looking around and there's this bear coming down out of a tree. He, was, he had been shaking the tree for some reason, a juvenile bear, a young bear. He's coming down out of the tree. And then also, here's, your mind goes all kinds of weird places. And then on the ground, I saw this like dark area. 
And I thought, you know, I know that moms will put their cubs up in a tree and sleep on the ground under the tree to protect their cubs. That's what moms do. They protect. I also know this is not a good situation. (laughs) So here's what I do as I'm coming back down the trail. I'm running back down the trail. Get in the cabin! Get in the cabin! Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm like, and they're like, you know. I've instilled fear in my children now, and we're all like going, and we lock ourselves in the cabin, and it turns out the bear went on its way again and didn't bother us or anything like that. But I'm not the kind of dad you want in a fearful situation. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Because God is not like that. You see, what I've also learned is that when dad's afraid... My daughters are afraid, right? And I had to regain my confidence and go face the bear because the, there's more to that story because I actually we meet the bear again later. And another bear and another bear, but that's another story. <laughs> but I wasn't as scared those times. And we, talked, and we talked about how to handle and they learned a lot, another sermon. But what I'm saying is that we need someone with us who's not afraid, right? Who can give us the confidence to overcome our fears. That's what our relationship with God does. When we have this relationship of trust in God, it inspires us and to know that God is with us, that we do not need to be afraid and that God will go with us into our troubles, into our adversities. When we face the bears of life, that we do not need to be afraid. We need to be wise, but we do not need to be afraid. But, you know, I was thinking about everything that's been happening in our world, too, and I've been thinking about, you know, we need people who are fearless, who are courageous. We need people in our world. I think about, think back to 9-11, and there were people who stormed the cockpit on an airplane, and we don't know how many lives got saved because of their fearlessness. Or think about the grandmother who called after her grandson bought an assault rifle and said, I'm afraid he's going to do something. And sure enough, she was right. How many lives did that grandmother save because she had the courage, the fearlessness to make that call on her own family member? Or what about the Walmart employee that ushered 100 people out of the Walmart to safety and to protection? What if he had just run away screaming, yelling, instead of helping others. We need people in our world who are fearless. We need people of faith in our world. Because what Psalm 91 is saying is that if you and I have a relationship with God, we can be fearless. We can be courageous. We can have wisdom in the time of anxiety and fear that we can be that person that God can call upon in the midst of fear and anxiety and threat, and adversity, and trouble, because we know God is with us, and that God will not abandon us, and that we can trust God no matter what the outcome is. If you remember when they, sh- they threw Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, what did they say to the king? They said to the king, God can save us, and will save us, but if not, we're still going to worship God. Even if God doesn't save us, even if God doesn't protect us, we're still going to have faith in God. We're still going to worship our God. 
But we do believe in a God who can do that, a big God, an awesome God. If you really want to know what Psalm 91 is about and you don't believe me, just listen to an Old Testament professor, Alter Weiser, who said, by virtue of the soaring energy of its trust in God, it leaves behind every earthly fear, every human doubt, and all inhibiting consideration, and lifts humankind up above the depressing realities of life to the hopeful certitude of a faith which is able to endure and master it. Is your relationship with God, my relationship with God, helping us to endure and master our fears? How's it doing? How's it going? Did you come with some fears today? Are there some things in our world that you're afraid of? That have got you all anxious and stressed out right now? Well, let's go to God. Let's talk to God about those things. Let's pray together.